people started, you know, this momentum amongst people that actually didn't. Yeah. We usually talk about books. Went, oh man, you got to read this book. And if you get that, you're a real winner without a doubt. Um, so hello everyone. This is the fourth Scotsway podcast on a Sunday morning. <laughs> We're not doing this again. It's not even a Sunday morning now, is it? Oh, oh, yeah, oh. We can still count it that way. So uh, I'm joined by Alan Wilson. Hello, everybody. D- taking a drink of water there. Two men with a cold, so this coughs <laughs> and splutters throughout <laughs> it, then we do apologise. Uh, we're here to talk about all the things we normally talk about, but the main reason is Alan's got his first collection of short stories coming out. Uh, it comes out on Tuesday, yeah? Tuesday, 11th of October. Tuesday, Tuesday, 11th of October. It launches at Waterstones at 6pm, and just as importantly, it finishes at <laughs> half past seven. And the kickoff for the Spain game <laughs> is after that, so perfectly timed. Perfectly timed, yeah. Don't keep your questions not too long. That's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, so, how are you feeling now that you've uh, you can see this in in the uh, cover to cover, if you like? Yeah, it seems a lot more real now. Um, before that, it was a concept in a sense. Even just seeing the proof copy didn't seem real, but actually seeing the final the final book with, you know all the quotes and so on and a blurb and whatever else is uh, pretty pretty scary stuff but and good quotes from uh, Tom Leonard amongst others yeah, um, right. which is a, great to have someone like that no I don't need to know somebody that I've well, let's face it. in life for a fair amount of time. And nobody's going to argue with him. Nah, I haven't even mess with Tom Leonard, did you? Uh, no, still, you wouldn't mess with Tom Leonard. He shook my hand once and my hand's still sore. You know, it's one of those types. Ah, you meant it though. You meant it. Um, so were these just a kind of collection of stories you've been working on for a long time, or did you sit there, you know, start to go, right, I'll start at the beginning, and there's one done, and then, I mean, how, how do you work in that sense? Yeah, um, basically, maybe for the last four or five years, I mean, I was just learning to write, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, and within that time, maybe I'd written 150 short stories. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean... But you're right, that's what you have to do. Not, not yeah. with the knowledge of thinking, oh, these will be published. Yeah. With the knowledge of thinking, right, I'm learning how to write. Right. Basically what it was, reading people, copying them, learning from them, finding eventually, finding your own type of way of writing. Well, that does make sense, because if there's one thing in this collection, it is a, a singular voice. There's no doubt it's... You know, you're, you're not... I mean, there are different styles in a sense, but all the way through you can tell this is Alan Wilson writing them. That's good to hear. That's good. Yeah, Something I, I'm worried about. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you saying, well, I, I wrote like 150 <clears throat> stories. It's like any writing, you know. You've just got to work it. I think some people often maybe don't realise just how hard you got to work. To that's it. That. I mean, the book's got 19 stories in it, yeah. and it's such a low hit rate, you know. And sense it's like maybe what one in eight mm-hmm. is any good. Well, not necessarily any good, but one in eight. You think so? You write so much, and then majority of the time it's just learning and then every now and again you'll hit something you think right that's pretty good mm-hmm. and I mean there's stories within that book that are a thousand words long which yeah. is nothing in yes. a sense but they are sometimes better than the ones that are maybe five thousand yeah. just depends and you can't you can't plan for it I mean the way I write it's just one sentence after the other there's never any planning you know you write a sentence it informs the next sentence and so on and so on yeah. and so on so the story sort of creates itself and in a way it, you're sort of following the writing as opposed to and I find that the find the thing I find that I try to do the most is not to impose myself upon it, mm-hmm. um, which then hopefully the story's doing something to itself and things. And it, it makes it a lot more fun. Yeah. Because you you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where you're and, going uh, next. Um, I find I find that good, but 
at the same time, it makes certain. I mean, certain days it's difficult when you're just yeah. sitting there and nothing's coming. And um, but no, it's I would never change it. Really. That's interesting because I know some people um, meticulous. Well, maybe not with short stories. Maybe with, with, have you written any longer? Have you? Uh, I have done, yeah, and I'm in the process at the moment. And, and that's been written the same way. Yeah, it's much harder, but yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm finding it because I know I remember um, interviewing. Uh, Doug Johnson and he said the whole idea of not going in with a plan mm. terrified him and uh, but I mean I've you know the little bit of writing that I've done I kind of like you I just think well let's see where this takes me yeah. and uh, that's exciting to me because it, you, you don't know sometimes it can take you down the darkest path but you think well I hope the hell exactly. and you here. think what's going on in my head what type of human being am I yeah um, I kind of hope nobody reads this <laughs> I know um, but I think do you know what in saying that sometimes the most things that you think I shouldn't be thinking that or saying yeah. that makes for the best fiction at times I, I think um, that's right I think certainly with the writers I, I like reading mm -hmm. honesty and sometimes honesty that you read it and you're a little bit taken aback and yeah. I'm thinking of maybe I was reading Ham and Rye on my way in yeah. on the train yeah, and yeah. you know and Bukowski stuff some of the honesty I mean sometimes it's kind of sickening yes, in a sense yes. but it's honest and you hear this voice and you're kind of with them you can't fake that I mean exactly. that's it um, um, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles writers have to overcome it's like well it's almost as daft as well god what my mummy read that you know, like, <laughs> you know? that's it uh, but you kind of well if this is what's come through my head let's get it down on page and then yeah it's yeah. the stuff that kind of makes you come up short and go wow but that's uh and, and because a great example i think he just got to the stage where he just didn't care anymore that's it. i don't think he cared about anyone in the um, that i think that's a hard thing um to because you know like a lot of, i mean a lot, obviously his stuff was very autobiographical as well mm -hmm. in the sense that so therefore for him it was very difficult most fiction writers I'm sure maybe take real life and change it mm -hmm. a bit um, so it makes it that little bit easier yeah in terms of not offending and hurting people so in, uh, actually talking about writers that influenced you in one of the stories uh, Sharkman 1 yep. you talk about um, the character walking about with a copy of Young Adam around and another very honest writer and talky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, an influence on you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to walk around with a copy of Young Adam. <laughs> oh, good man. Stick around the pocket in my jeans. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. I think I still do, actually, most days. Um, yeah, Alexander Trocky, when I, when I found Young Adam, when I, I mean, I read the book long before I saw the film and I just thought, yeah, you so know, it was one of the greatest. And I couldn't believe he was Scottish at first mm. either. Um, but unbelievable book, yeah. Yeah. It's my uh, my theory that that kind of book or, or Trockian himself is really underrepresented, but actually kind of links twentieth century Scottish literature because you had, you know, he really pissed off a lot of the folk like Dermot and all yeah. that, this, and but then ended up influencing Warner and Welsh and all these guys that came yeah. later on. Um, fascinating character. That's where I found him. It was one of those. Um, Rebelling classics. Um, yeah, that's right. God, know, yeah. Uh, and it was it's a it's a great and it's got an introduction by I can't think at the moment, but the introduction to it. Is it talks Kevin about, Um I don't think it is Kevin Williams. Okay. Um I could be wrong, but yeah. it's it, and it speaks about that nineteen sixty six Edinburgh writers yeah, conference, the yeah, whole McDermott yeah. thing and you know and Cosmopolitan scum McDermott called only interested in lesbianism in Scotland. <laughs> and Trocky said basically yes. That'll do me. <laughs> um, so no, it's, he's, a, he's a great writer and definitely there's not enough about him at the moment. But I think maybe the last little while you, you start hearing more and more people yeah. saying Trocky, Trocky. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I don't think there's been enough stuff written on him. Um, then again, there's not a lot of stuff to write about in a sense. I mean, he went and wrote some bizarre 
a soft core paw and stuff That's as well. Right, yeah. Got a pseudonym, Carmen Cheetah de la Luna or something <laughs> like that. I think I might have made that up. But I, but Young Adam particularly uh, is it's just an amazing book. So what other influences? Who else has influenced you in terms of writers? Um, just I mean a lot of people in a sense in terms of something I really care about um, is the style of writing in right. terms of you know. And and that, and then like for example, I don't really like adverbs and adjectives, in which a lot of writers, Kelman for example, yeah. Raymond Carver, so on, and you know because what it does is it's enforcing something upon the reader, and it's sort of saying, in a way I find it a little bit at times can be patronising in the sense like think this and yeah. whatever type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the kind of thought of narrative voice yeah, telling you what to think. Yeah, you, to you know it's a kind of god voice type of thing, and um, <clears throat> so lots of writing style things like that. So Carver, Kelman, so on. And other influences, just tons. Um, well, since this weekend was a bit of a Kelman weekend, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, there was a Kelman seminar at uh, Glasgow University, and um, we saw the launch of a new book on Kelman, James Kelman and the Art of Commitment. It's called The Red Cockatoo. Now, I know you're a huge Kelman fan, and I am a massive uh, Kelman fan, so... What is it about his... I mean, he talks about the art of commitment and Kelman always talks about the committed writer. In fact, there's a quote on the back that says, I've nothing to say to writers who aren't committed. I've much more to talk about with folk who aren't writers or artists, but whose commitment leads them to live their lives in a way I approve. That's a classic Kelman quote because <laughs> yeah. it's like, I am, I'll decide what's right. Absolutely. And the term commitment is an interesting one as well. I mean, what exactly does it mean? But I think when you're talking about getting rid of that voice, that's partly what he's talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what Kelman stands for is pretty much something that I don't think anyone can not respect. I, all, I think in his essay. <laughs> well, no, you're right, you're right, but I, it's okay, certainly for me. Yes. I, I respect no, what he stands no, for I, I, in too. his essays and so on. Um, and I think something about Kelman in the sense that he, you know, he was working. And, he, and when his first book was published, like, um, Old Pub Near the Angel, and it was in America, mm. and he his payment was something like 50 copies or something. You hear about this? Um, and then he... You know, he would get it, and he was working as a bus driver at the time, and he'd take it to work just in case somebody wanted to read it. And the fact of working and writing, and I suppose when he's talking about commitment, in a mm -hmm. sense, it's like you know that's whole starving artist type of things, a lot of nonsense. It's yeah. about getting the work done. Yeah. And he was raising a family and yeah, things like that. Exactly. So, and I think more and more people are beginning to realise that's what you have to do. The the idea of as you see, they're locking yourself away, and whatever a garret is these days, and. Uh, you know, producing something which is going to sell and make you, and you are a writer, I think it's yeah. kind of difficult to, to do that completely, I think. I definitely agree. I think, I mean, the money isn't there so much anymore. And um, I think, but I think the best writers never really did it. No, and I think it might um, produce better fiction. All yeah, around. definitely. I would agree. And there's so, something that if you're, if you're getting constant either grants or there's this, this stream of money coming in, I think <clears> you kind of lose touch, which is, I think, is what Kellen gets at. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, right. Oh yeah. This uh, Peter Kravitz, who uh, edited the Edinburgh Review at the time, and was the first person <clears throat> I think in this country to publish Kelman, said that he got in touch with them because I think one of his short stories was included in um, a Collins uh, collection of short stories. But anyway, he he, he came across this and went, I, I love this. Absolutely love it. A lot of the other stories, he just sort of, I think it was two stories he went after, and one of them was James Kelman. Mm. So he got in touch with them and said, well, have you got other stuff to send? And at that time, Kelman had been sending it off everywhere. 
Yeah. And nobody was kind of interested and he was really scunnered and thought, oh, no, no, I'm not going to bother, I'm not going to bother, but Kravitz kept at it, Kravitz kept at it. Eventually he did and I love this stuff. And Kellen went, well, I've also, I'm writing this novel, The Bus Conductor Hines. Yeah. So he said, well, send me some. And he said, this is amazing, even though apparently Peter Kravitz returned it and went, I love the postman. Hines. And Kevin went, it's not the fucking postman, Hines. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake. But, um, but what Kravitz went on to say was just the someone showing that interest, kind of um, giving him a little bit of oxygen of, of, of support. Suddenly, he really got back into it and, 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 and kind of never really stopped until yeah. Hines was done. And then that really, for me, his best period, you know, right through all the kind of Glasgow novels. Definitely. Uh, just one of the most incredible running novels you can get. Um, so, anyone who doesn't, God, you must know, read James Kelman, you really should. Um, going back to Wasted in Love, uh, now that you've uh, had to live with it for a while, <coughs> do you have favourites? Do you have ones or can you, is that like... Uh, yeah, no, I do, I do. It's good, not like good. asking between your favourite Your favourite children. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I'd probably have a favourite child as well, but um, I, I do have favourites, although it does change. Um, my favourite, I think, is the first one called A Celebration. I, oh um, yes, I have to agree. I love it. Um, talk us through it a little bit. And okay, it's basically um, a guy talking to another guy. A guy talking to his friend Jack and Jack asks the guy, um, Tony, if he'll be his best man. So they start, start having a drink, they start drinking whiskey and then they start telling each other stories, as you do. And so he starts telling them a story about a time that a puppy was left on his doorstep. Um, but then that's not the story. He ends up telling him a story about a time he told that story to another guy. So yeah. it's, it's a very complex sort of structure in a sense. But I don't think, I hopefully it doesn't read as a confusing No, it doesn't structure. at all. No, um, no, no. But yeah, the reason I like it is essentially that um, I had this story of a puppy mm -hmm. end up on my doorstep. But I thought that's not a story. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's too obvious and there's no story there. There's no conflict in a sense. It's just a, yeah. a little image that I thought was nice. And um but then I, I heard a story of a, a girl told me, um, I won't name her, anyone, uh, if I know that I even said that, <laughs> uh, somebody told me that um, they, they, you know, it was a number of staff, there was 12 women in the room and me, right. and um, they were telling a story about how a surgeon wanted to take a photograph of their naked torso. Um, and, you know, I just, I had this story and I, I had this dog story and I had that story and I, I, for some reason, somewhere in my head it, it linked and then, yeah, that story came and, you, you know, it, it was just a really easy one to write and it was really enjoyable to write and it just hammered out and after about three hours or something and it was just done and I thought wow. it was a great story to write and I, I really like it. Well, the thing I like about it is <clears throat> it comments a lot about... Um, male relationships in a way which isn't often looked at um you've got this you know the telling would you be my best man it becomes quite emotional yeah, and yeah. oh and all this and then uh this other story which is between a younger guy and an older guy and this kind of really kind of dark and twist mm. and these pictures coming out it's very funny as well and, and, and well i found it funny I don't know what it was meant to be but um because you can imagine this actually happening yeah, I mean, I it's set in a pub, and I in the pub in my head, it's a pub that I, I go to, and I can mm. see everything, and yeah, you know, uh, I never realised that the, the surgeon was English until one of the times I read it, yeah. and then I read it at a, a reading, obviously, and um, I realised, wait a minute, this guy's English. You're never told that in the yeah. story, but it's one of these things, and yeah, I think there is a complexity there of the, the narrator or um, 
Tony, who's telling the story basically is, you know, he, he might have done things that he's not proud of and whatever else. And there is a lot, it's about, it's basically about male relationships and about male bravado and yeah. all that type of nonsense and the, the image that certain men feel they have to live up to and so on. And I think it shows it up a lot. That's the, when I finished it, I thought, yeah, that's hopefully what it does. It absolutely, it does. And I think there's that runs through the collection as well. There's a lot of commentary on, I don't want to say masculinity in a sense, that's the wrong term, but um, how men are and yeah. how, you know, in, in the good and the, the bad and the ugly. That's it. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of a lot of pressure on men in a sense, um, a Scottish pressure, you know, about conforming to a certain stereotype. You know, like for example, a guy writing a book that's mm. from Glasgow isn't very common, mm -hmm. and it's when you sometimes tell people, they screw up their face, and it's you know, and it, it's not that people are negative. It's just that it's it's just kind of it's not what you do. It's okay. not what you do. You're a, a guy from Glasgow type of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example of the, the type of thing that I try to show. I think all the stories, in a sense, show up things that I disagree with. So sometimes I might go into being the person doing the, the wrong mm. the wrongdoing, but hopefully when if they get a comeuppance or something, it's shown that picking the holes in these things. You know, if racism comes up a fair amount. Yeah. And, um, having been a school teacher at a school where 40% of the kids are from an Asian background, it, it's something that I kind of I see a lot of. Mm. So... It just naturally comes out in the writing. Um, they, I'm not going to say there. Lost my train of thought. Um, they, the, but the other aspects of uh, there's um, jealousy and there is uh, violence and were you worried that that would fit into? A stereotype of what Scottish male when I mean, it's not stereotypical, I have to say. But were you worried that you, you would maybe go down? The, uh, the reason I tell you what my train, I've recovered my train of thought, <laughs> everyone. Don't worry. Last night I went to see uh, Men Should Weep, which was the Ina Lamont Stewart play written in the 40s about the depression in the 30s. And it's really about how uh, the women kept this family together from the, the granny to the, 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 the Maggie, the, the mother, and, and her sister. and and meanwhile, the men are either feckless or too proud to, to kind of uh, do the right thing or have been uh, central in this woman's got, you know, kids falling out the windows in this tiny, yeah. you know, uh, two-room place. And at the end, I mean, it's a hugely emotional play. Um, it really makes commentary on that whole Scottish stereotype of... I am the head of the family and uh, what I do is right and you'll do what I say. Now, as we all know, Scotland's a very different place yeah. then, but there still is Absolutely, that yeah. feeling uh, and, uh, and as much as some people maybe like to think that it's not there anymore. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think, I say it has, a lot of things obviously have changed. Mm -hmm. um, things are a lot more equal and so on. But, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of girls grow up still thinking that, They'll, they'll be the one that stays in the home type of thing. Mm. I mean, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but I'm only speaking from experience as, as a teacher. Yeah, you see yeah, it all yeah. the time, and girls, you say about doing well, and they say, oh, it doesn't really matter, and whatever. Yeah, and it's yeah. not all... I'm not, talking about a small amount. I, I know what you're but saying. But it's still there, and it's... Well, you're talking, we're talking about stereotypes, so I think you know we're allowed to be kind of general in what we're saying, yeah. because, of course, when you look at people individually, often folk are far more complex, but... 
for instance, if you take uh, what you were saying about you know writers and the idea of of, of um, it being something that uh, not many guys in Glasgow will do. I'm thinking of the scene in Alan Bissett's Pac-Man mm-hmm. recently where Alvin has to stand up, well, what is it you do? How come you're writing? Or oh, you're a writer, what yeah. do you write? And it's the accusation. It's almost like he's been, you know, called out for uh, cheating on somebody's work. You know, there's yeah. a real kind of accusation <laughs> in it. That, uh, what, what is it? You know, it's, it goes back to the whole the, the um, Bill Hicks joke when the guy comes up to him and says, what are you reading for? Yeah, it's a whole sort of rising above your station type of thing. Well, I think, I, to an extent, and but certainly what I have found is that see the second you tell people what they're about or people read them, yeah. they're usually so supportive. Yeah, it's, I, it's just I think the idea again, sorry to bore people about teaching all the mm. time, but you say to boys about reading and the automatic thing is oh God's sake or whatever, right? But I think it's certainly the image of it as opposed to the reality of it. Uh-huh. They they don't like the image and what they think books are about and so on. But I think that's a, you know that's because of what they're mm-hmm. subjected to at times. And when they see things, it doesn't have to be like that. And uh-huh. certainly for me growing up, I was like that as well. And um, you see it can be, you, you find certain writers and you're like, Jesus, that's the stuff that I, that I care about, that I want to, that, that's a life that I can understand and people like me have got as much right to be on a page as yeah. everybody else when, when people realise that I think it, it can change Absolutely. Every, your entire view of fiction and writing and what and so on uh, so just to, to follow on from that what do you think about um, what is taught in, in schools uh, and, and obviously you have to give people a wide range of, of literary voices but do you still think that there's an imbalance? It certainly was when I was at school that about local voices or, or um, not even Scottish voices, I really mean local voices, voices that you can identify with. Yeah, um, I think it's becoming I think it's becoming better. I think Good. there's a, a lot more coming in. Um, and you've, what I find is uh, the second that you do teach a text that kids relate to, they love it so much more. I'm thinking Catherine McPhail, I don't know if you've ever oh, read yeah. her, yeah, yeah. who writes sort of books for teenage um people and they're all set in Greenock I think mm-hmm. but the kids really they really love them um, the, the older kids it's more things like Sunset Song mm-hmm. and um, the Cone Gatherers and things yeah. which which they do like but it's harder in the sense that it's older it's so older, they find it harder to relate to yeah. but yeah I mean things like I just the schools are making a fair push saying that you always have to teach Scottish texts and in a way English teachers have a lot of free reign you can basically teach what you want mm-hmm. you know you can there's no set curriculum. You're just basically um, you're stuck having to teach what's in the book covered, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. usually the same books in every school. Of but course. when it comes to poems and stuff, you can bring in what you like. And, yeah. Uh, no, I think I think schools are every teacher I've worked with is trying hard to just give a broad range. Yeah. Um, and going back to what I was saying about teaching a school where there was lots of kids from Asian backgrounds, trying to find things. You know, I was I'm ah. trying to take in Suhail Sadi mm-hmm. because it was that um, like psycho rag. Yeah, yeah. Because these are kids. Born in Scotland, parents may have been born in Scotland. Um, but for, even for the there's, there's there's Scottish Asian novel, yeah, uh, of that. So to show them that it's it's great, and the reactions have always been brilliant. You know, so it's just money. Can maybe get books like that into schools? Yeah, be good. Uh, the, 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 the usual problem. It's always always money. It's always money. Um, so what poets <coughs> do you do you tend to give them? Well, yeah, all the classics all like the Edward classics. Morgan, Norman McKay, and so on. Yeah. But you know, I've I've taken in Alexander Trockey poetry before, which wow. isn't his best work. But, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but just just to show it's there, and uh, Bukowski, Raymond Carver, oh, good stuff. Uh, quite a lot. I mean, as I say, it's a poem, so you can read it in five yeah, minutes. Yeah. And uh, just to, there's a brilliant poem by Bukowski called I think it's This Shoelace or Ashulace, right. and it's all about how um, 
<laughs> talks about all these things like, you know, bad things happening in life and how they, <clears throat> it's not them that mess you up, but then you get a broken shoelace and you snap. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a all small these thing. little things. Um, There's a film <clears throat> uh, which I think has come out this week called Tyrannosaur and it's Paddy Considine, he's directed it, but it stars right. Peter Mullen. Okay. And I've been reading a little bit about it because uh, just would watch anything Peter Mullen does. And his character in it is this person who has real uh, anger problems. And it is the little... Th- apart, at one point, he's in a Oxfam sh- shop and he's hiding in the clothes rack because he, he just, he's going to explode. And it's yeah. some tiny thing which has just kind of pushed him over the edge. Yeah. Um, I, I'm fascinated to see what it's like. I think that would be... It's supposed to be a fantastic film. So, uh, sorry just to go back to that. Yeah. But um, I teaching that type of thing and teaching things that... I mean, that's what I love about being a teacher is to, to teach these kids things that are different mm-hmm. and sometimes to see them sort of think about things in a slightly different way is, uh, is pretty great and it's nice being a wee bit subversive every now and then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And it's good that if they, if they respond to it, as you see, whether it's voices they recognise or just voices that they love. Like the, the first person I remember going to see we were taking away school and we heard Carol McDougall reading his poetry and it was like, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing when they realise that like they can they can do anything they want type mm-hmm. of thing because I think even by age eleven, kids have got when they're in secondary school. Sometimes you're too late to have much of an influence in, on them. You know they're already at an age where it's their friends and so on, and a lot of their personality has been formed to, to a fair extent. And just every now and again you get through, and it's it's by far the best thing I, I like about teaching. Um, so you intend to, like you know, <coughs> keeping on the teaching as uh, while you're uh, writing? Yeah, I mean it's, it's just at the moment I'm I'm trying to find a job. So if any schools are listening, <laughs> uh, absolutely hire this man. No, I am working at the moment, but I'm, my contract comes to an end next week. And uh, so I, as I say, there's there's many parts of teaching I really really like. Other parts that I, I mean I, I would change, but um, that's a long story. But uh, yeah, so I think as as long as schools will have me, I'll keep getting in and. I don't know, hopefully, hopefully the book will lead to other wee things as well. I'd quite like to teach writing every now and again, mm-hmm. to, whether in schools or elsewhere, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Writing in, in Scotland in general, um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what writers who are writing just now, more contem- contemporaries of yours, who you really like, and then I will talk about that first. So who, who else is it that's really inspiring you just now? At the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the first name that jumped in my head there is Alan Bissett. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I think I first read Boy Racers when I was nineteen or something, and uh, just like that was that, that was one of these books that sort of changed everything. Yeah, um, it really did. You know, I, I read that. I discovered that long before I discovered Kelman and Gray and so on. Yeah. And it was just like, geez, what is this stuff? You know, and that first page, and it's just full of energy and yeah, young people. And you know, the character in the story, Alvin, wearing his NTL Ranger strip. You know, I was that. It was he's ex- the exact same age yeah. as me. So again, it was just one of these things, and um, that just happened. It was written at the right time for me. Uh, and, I remember reading it and thinking, that's the age I, I wish I'd read it. Yeah. So, but I, still, I think something. It was just it. unbelievable. Um, so Alan Bissett since then, you know, I've just always followed, followed this stuff and then thinking about like um, the incredible Adam Spark and, uh, you know, that's one of these books you just, you cry when you read it. It's just so sad. Um, but it's great and funny as well. I think he does that so well. The sort of funny, 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 boof. You're out, you're flat out. Flat out. Well, that's the boy racers. I think a lot of people had its 10th anniversary. I love it. That makes you feel yeah, like you're getting on. And then uh, Pac Man's had a lot of uh, publicity off the back of it. And I even Death of a Ladies Man did as well. But if you haven't read Incredible Adam Spark, it's beautifully yeah, written. Yeah, it's and so, a real brave piece of writing to take that on. Aye, absolutely. It's, 
massively imagined the the, the you know the leap of imagination you must yeah. have had to take for that um, to go into Adam's head like that. But it's great, it's a great book. Um, you know, I think I think Alan Bissett. Basically, I think Alan Bissett can do no wrong, okay. um, and he always says nice things to me as well. I bet he's, if he's listening to this, he's smiling away. <laughs> uh, he always comments Washing. on my hair and says I've got nice hair. So <laughs> if, if he way. says nice things about my hair, I'll say nice things about his writing. <laughs> Leave it at that. So um, yeah, basically, of people writing just now, I, he's the one that really stands out. Um, but I do he like, also says nice things about your writing, by the way, because he has said them to me. So there um, you go. <laughs> it's because we're both called Alan, you see. Um, <laughs> He's only got one L. Um, but I so I've always liked the Scottish writing, but at the same time, I don't like it because it's Scottish. Yeah. I like Scottish writing in the sense that it talks about universal things, yeah. as does obviously literature of any nation. Exactly. Um, and it's not because it's Scottish, I, write, I like it. It's yeah. what it's talking about. Well, this is what my... The whole reason for kind of doing the Scots way hey thing and everything was... It wasn't to say, well, this is great because it's Scottish. It's just to say, you know what? There's lots of stuff on your doorstep that you might not have heard of. Yeah. And a lot of it's really good. And the fact that it's Scottish is neither here nor there, really. It's yeah. the fact that it's it's there. And I think that nothing tells you more about your own surroundings and your own circumstances and culture than whether it's a film or a poem <laughs> or a piece of writing or stuff like that. And that's what do it. Yeah. Um, I think because it's accessible. Mm -hmm. With it being on your doorstep, it's instantly accessible and then it leads you on to reading other things mm -hmm. to go back to Kelman led me on to reading Kafka and so yeah. on because you find their influences yeah. and then you read it and you realise you know it's a worldwide thing it's people with maybe like minded ideas but could be from anywhere mm -hmm. it's humans that's right you know that's right um, um, talking about it being accessible this afternoon you're reading it words per minute aren't you yes 4pm at the arches 4, four o'clock at the arches yeah um, who, who else is on do you know I no, don't know. <laughs> oh, that's a I care only question. about myself. I am uh, <laughs> uh, very sorry. I should not say that. Yeah, that. Um, there's somebody. I'm, I'm just judging by the email list. There's someone else called Alan. Okay. <laughs> Lots of Alan. Um, if you want to get a book deal in this country, call yourself Alan. Um, but there's a lot of live events, a lot of uh, great uh, events out there at the moment, and um, probably more than at any time recently. What do you think of the writing scene? Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, it's that whole thing I, I mean I've not been I used to go to these things maybe two or three years ago and I'd be thinking I'd, I would point out and I'd say to my girlfriend oh that's, uh, that's Roy Glass he's yeah. a guy that works with Alistair Gray and he's like oh right okay and then I would you know point out other people and I would never know them and then last year with the year open doors to having the story and that you know you go to these things and you know them and it's in a way it's a very small thing you see the same people a lot of these things but in saying that you know they're, they're amazing like I think I think like hopefully they'll keep springing up hopefully things won't end there's monosyllabic um, which is a a really good one um, words per minute which is great there's a th where there was a thing in Edinburgh at the Forest Cafe um, yeah but at, at the Golden Hour I don't know if maybe it's moved faint or maybe the Forest did I hear the Forest Cafe's moving somewhere else I hope so um, I don't yeah, know what happened with that it was a great little venue and so yeah they're propping up they're cropping up all over the place and um, it's a great I mean it's just it's a good night out as well yeah, you know you go and you have a few drinks and it's fun and you get here there's something music on as well. It's just it's a good night out, and everybody's really friendly. And that's what it seems to me. There seems to be a real supportive network of writers, and not just writers, as you see, musicians, mm. um, artists. Uh, that are. 
it's not that they're, which is, can be quite rare, but that everyone's going to say, you know, well, if you like this guy, you're going to like this guy. If you like her, yeah. you're going to, you know, listen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's lots of cro- cro- cross art form type of things going yeah. on at the moment as well. And it's, um, no, it feels really great to be a part of something. It does feel like there's something happening. And I like the idea that it's from sort of grassroots level up, mm-hmm. in a sense, as opposed to top down. Yeah. Because, you know, it, 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 it's exciting and it's happening and you can shape it as it's going and it's, it's, you know I don't think that's been about for certainly I don't know in the early 90s even. yeah probably the yeah, mid 90s that, yeah. uh, that to me that there seems to be I mean it's in, it always interests me that when when people try and make mo- movements and what it often is, is it's like minded people coming together yeah. and then of course it's a well, it's folk like me that say oh yes this is the such and such generation or whatever yeah. and I'm always very wary of that because it often means that uh, Alan Biss is a good example because <laughs> he was kind of between one lot of writers and the next lot yeah. of writers but um, so you've got to be wary of missing out the people that maybe don't fit in That's to it, that um, but it, it is always good where there's it's just support I mean going back to uh, Kelman look at the support of the other writers he, you know even at the the conference in 1990 but that book is based around you've got Alistair Gray, Tom Leonard, Jeff Torrington, who often gets forgotten yeah. about, and then you got Liz Lockhead and Agnes Owens. I mean, it's mind-boggling to think these people all kind of are hanging about together. I know. I've got a photograph saved on my computer, and it's not from then; it's from now. But it's a uh, Agnes Owens, Liz Lockhead, Kelman, Tom Leonard, Alistair Gray. I think Jeff Torrington's not in it. Right. Um, but they're all sitting in a, you know, in, in Ballock at the train station, there's yeah. a little sort of cafe thing. They've, obviously they've got a waitress to take a photograph of them and, you know, it, it was great to think that that was all 30 years ago, yeah. let's say, and they're still speaking now and they're, I mean, they're still creating great stuff as well um, a lot of the time. Um, so, hopefully, hopefully it's all encompassing and not to do with age. I would think that no. in these sort <laughs> of, you know, as you say, like, Alan Biss is maybe between two, two, two mm-hmm. eras. Mm-hmm. But certainly from going to these things at the moment, it doesn't feel like it's a clique or anything no, like that. No, I, I think you're right. It's just... It's, I, yeah, it's just... It's the worry that someone will try and make it a clique when actually it's not. Ah. And I think what's really interesting is it's crossing all sorts of... It's crossing age. Well, look at the the, the Year of Open Doors collection, which I think was a real uh, groundbreaking uh, publication in that sense. It had... Um, crossed class, crossed age, crossed gender, crossed, you know, whatever you want to call There was new voices. There was a um, English, Polish, Asian, you know, there was yeah. a huge... And it, that's really important, that it's not... Um, it doesn't just bec- become, well, this is... The, the, everyone's writing about the same way. And that's the one yeah. thing about the... It's a mistake <coughs> about when people talk about the chemical generation. I think they thought it was just a group of folks sitting around dropping tabs and, and you know, uh, and writing. It wasn't like that at all. If you actually read them individually, very, very... I mean, Warner's a very different writer to Welsh. Right, you know, yeah. a very different writer to Gordon Legg or whoever else was out there. Yeah. And I think it's the same with, you know, Rog Glass is a very different writer to yourself, is a very different writer to Alan. And there's... there's um, and, and, it, and it seems to be wider as well. It used to be very central belt. In fact, if you go back to Kelvin and Gray, it was almost very... West End at Glasgow. Yeah, you see, yeah. you can always sit them in the one room. <laughs> uh, but you know, you've got people like Kevin McNeil. You've got um, it. Just seems there's, there's stuff coming from the islands now. Stuff coming from the highlands. Mm. It's just really as an outsider, 
in a sense, looking in and just reading all this stuff and it, it's it's hugely exciting. Do you know, and I think there's so many more people that are just going to hopefully get published soon and there's, I think there's a there's a lot of females that are great, yeah. great performers and so on and you hear their stuff, but maybe it's not out in books yet, um, but some brilliant, brilliant writers and you go to, you know, different events and you hear these people reading and it's like, it's just, it's great and I think hopefully with, there's I mean, there's even new publishers cropping up talking about cargo, but also... Um, freight are, are now yeah that's right they and, are and as like linking back before there might not be much money but if people are doing it for the right reasons hopefully there'll be new voices out there and I'm just looking forward to reading mm-hmm. what else what else happens hopefully yeah. it'll just keep on going keep because on going, yeah. you know as I was like, saying it started sort of grassroots level but if eventually it's leading to books and then whether it's in anthologies or whether it's somebody's own publication it's it's great to get that on paper, but even if it's not on paper, you still you can watch it on YouTube. And yeah, there, there are lots of ways. There's so many of, ways into it now. Um, it seems to me much more democratic, whereas before it was if you weren't picked up by one of the big publishers, then, you know, were people actually going to take notice? But now, well, people are, I'm not forcing it upon you, so <laughs> word, but they're saying, look, it's really out there, and there are whether it's through blogs, whether it's through YouTube, whether it's through people just word of mouth, there's things, well, you've got yeah. to go to this, you should go to that. And, I mean, I know for a fact there's a lot of people got tickets for your event on Tuesday. You used to go to these things, I did <coughs> go to these things, and, you know, there'd be, yeah. you know, 12 men and a dog there, and now <laughs> people are really looking at it as a night out, and, and, and part of a night out. So, I, mean, I don't think there's any reason why it can't be that. I mean... Hopefully it doesn't go back to that image thing that writing has, you know. Certainly for me, it felt when I first started writing, it was it was for myself, and it was to do any more than that, to find any like like people that would like it or whatever. It was just it seemed like there was no way into anything. Like I don't know. I think I just had the wrong idea of it, or maybe at that point I was like that. But I had a conversation with somebody fairly recently about gatekeepers, right? And about how there was gatekeepers to to publication or to Scottish literature and. It feels like these people, the gates are being broken down to an extent. Mm-hmm. The gates are being opened, and there's ways in now with all these new publications and publishers and so on that maybe weren't there five, ten years ago. Um, I think part of the problem is the the, the gatekeepers don't understand, not quite sure what how things are changing. I think same thing yeah. happened. With, we've spoken about this in previous podcast. Same thing happened with the music business, but people thought, well, that's going to be the end of. Uh, the music industry as we know it and all that's going to now people say that's going to be the end of publishing well no it'll, we'll find a way oh, and it'll be done in, in much and actually it might be you know much more healthy situation maybe when it's not about marketing no. you get you get more things that are um, maybe that was a problem before how to market certain things yeah. how to market a short story collection you know there's not been many short story collections published uh, recently but um, certainly when it's when it's changing it seems that there's less if you're not risking so much money you know, you get a better chance of putting it out there, in a sense, for publishers. It does seem to me as well that people, and it's been my bugbear, one of my bugbears for a long time, are taking short stories seriously, again, as an art form in their own right, or a writing <laughs> form. Um, I used to bang on about this, you know, read Ali Smith's short stories, read James Kerman's short stories, read Kennedy's short stories, they're all fantastic. But people almost saw them as, oh, well, they do that. That's the kind of bits they've left in their cupboard while they're waiting to do their next novel. Oh, and you get, it's a completely different thing. Um, and Kelman's in particular are, are just inspirational. Yeah, I mean, I think all the people you mentioned there are great. And even thinking out with Scotland, like Roddy Doyle, I don't yeah, know if you've yeah, his yeah. latest one, Bullfight. No, I haven't read his latest one. Oof, unreal, it's so good. And it's, 
you know what? I think short stories are great for many reasons. I th- as you say, I think they're very different, you know, a different beast in a novel, mm-hmm. and um, hard in their, their own ways. Uh, but also, people don't have much time to read. You know, they're, they're a good that's, thing to get That's an absolutely valid point. It's just a very point. simple thing to say. It, it but, really is. Um, well, you can go back to, to teaching. If you go, well, here's a couple of short stories you might like. I've done it myself. You're giving people... They're not going to read, say they're not going to read Lanark because they just don't have the time to do yeah. it. So you give them a couple of Alistair Gray short stories and they go, wow, these are amazing. And eventually down the line they might go, I'm going to give Lanark a go. Yeah, um, that's it. exactly when you do have the time. There's, I know it's just finding the time when dipping in and out of a novel. And maybe things like with the way technology is going, e-readers and so on, people might read more in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the case is. I've heard a couple of people just anecdotally talking about how last year they read two books and this year they've read eight already and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And because they've got a Kindle or whatever. Um, interesting. So, but with, for short stories, I, just like what we were saying about other things, it seems like there's something happening. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, well, people at, at university, it seems to me as well, I know people who are, their research is on you know, various writers' short stories now. Yeah. It's never happened. It was right. almost like if you put in uh, a plan to say, well, what are you going to do your master's on or what are you going to do your PhD on and it was going to be short stories. Oh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, do you think, well, this, this, it was very short-sighted, I think. Mm, absolutely. Right, I, I'm going to finish up with, this is the first time we've done this, but I'm going <coughs> to ask all our uh, interviewees five questions which you can answer as you like. They don't have to be Scottish, they don't have to be anything. Um, it's up to you. Okay. The first one is, favourite writer? <sighs> I know, they're biggies, <laughs> but you know, that's um, the point. Favourite writer? Um, do you know why these questions are hard? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a biggie. Okay. Um, I'll go for... Favourite writer today? I mean, okay, you right might now, change your mind tomorrow. Probably in 20 minutes. Exactly. But, Right now, I'll, I'll say Alexander Trotty, right. simply because the, when I read Young Adam, um, it was one of these things that, that changed everything for yeah. me. Um, and I just think it's such a tightly constructed book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas I, I don't normally like books that are plotted to that extent, yeah. but it's just such a, it's so well done. And you're on the, it's, it's a page turner, essentially, which is what's so good about it as well. And, and But it's also very much character driven yeah and it does both things very very well and it's, I mean it's it's existential and it's got, it's got Camus and all of these things but you're right you really that's it. That's it. want to see what happens next all the existential stuff I totally love in it as yeah. well. I mean that was when I was reading it maybe 21 or whatever uh, yeah it was what I was like woof this, I'm mm. learning things about the world that I never sort of thought of before and uh, yeah Do you, by no point of, of uh, Joe's character is doesn't, it doesn't seem to be any moral centre he, he acts and there's no and I go back to Wasted in Love there are characters there they, it's not that they have no moral centre it's just that it's well hidden yeah I'll go with that as well okay um, <laughs> right well here's an if you're saying Trocky will take novel do you want to say Young Adam or no I'll want... change good uh, excellent I'll go for a disaffection um, <sighs> good, choice, good choice good choice well being a teacher what, that's it, basically what I'm going to say okay. yeah um, it's Again, this could change tomorrow, but at the moment I'll say this fiction simply because um, being a teacher and, you know, Patrick Doyle uh, is, is in situations where I'm often have these, exa- and again, it's like what we're talking about with Bissett doing Adam Spark, I don't know, Kelman's never been a teacher, mm-hmm. um, I know his daughters are teachers, mm-hmm. but he gets it right, you know, and the way he talks to the pupils and it's 
the way he tries to inspire them about, you know, your mothers and fathers are in an oppressed state and so yeah. on, um, is fantastic. Uh, I, I really like Patrick Doyle and what he goes through. Um, again, it's an existential crisis, it I suppose. It certainly is. Um, is. Do you think, I mean, my, my theory is that Patrick Doyle, because he kind of sticks it, Kilman sticks it to Patrick Doyle quite a lot, you yeah. know, he hasn't had the kind of bravery of his convictions. And, Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I wonder whether it's the, the person Kelman worried that he would have become if he didn't kind of commit himself to writing. I just wonder if that's the case. Because uh, so you've got all this, the, the kind of conflict between his family, the beautifully written bit where, where he goes to meet, he's supposed to see his mum and dad and yeah. he really trying to, try to communicate with his father over washing the dishes and it's mm -hmm. it, wonderfully written. I, I think it's, it's my favourite Kelman novel. I've got, I'd say that as well. Um, I like The Chancellor as well. For a long time I liked The Chancellor was my favourite Kelman, but I think... Um, I haven't read this affection a few times. I was actually talking to someone uh, last night about the significance of the pipes okay. in a disaffection. You know, he finds these pipes yeah. and they're never really explained no, or even exactly. described. You he don't know whether are, are they, he takes them home and becomes obsessed about these <laughs> yeah. pipes. Uh, and what did you say? What, well, I, I said, oh, it almost represents the artistic side that, you know, he wants to go and chase and he, uh -huh. you know, but he hasn't got the bravery to go and do it. Um, that's what I think. I, I was going to I would say the exact same thing. Uh, it's about that, the, the leap of, you know, what he did in real life, in a sense, that, that Patrick Doyle doesn't do, um, is to work as that artist. And I mean, because Patrick Doyle was obsessed with painters, like Goya and stuff like that. Right. He talks about, yeah, yeah. He? In fact, a lot of artists in yeah. Alderlin and uh, there's a um, lot of references But yet to he himself is anti-art, in a sense. Yeah. His life is not artistic in any way, apart from maybe the way he talks to the the pupils is in a way you know something creative but again i don't think that's the, the strength of his convictions he does that to the pupils because it's almost they don't know mm -hmm. but he won't go on and kind of follow that through <coughs> outside yeah. that's a great book it's so complex great it's book great. okay over to music favorite album uh, favorite album monday the hug and paint by arab, uh, arab strap well that's i'm glad you said arab strap because chris ward who's usually off this parish has actually tweeted in a question Right. To ask you, who's had the better post-Arab Strap solo career? Aidan or Mark? <sighs> now that's like choosing between your favourite <laughs> two children. <laughs> uh, um, I know what his answer is, but... Uh, okay, well, I, I think they've both, they've both been interesting. I think Malcolm Middleton's uh, Girl Songs EP, when he does like the Saturdays and Girls Aloud, was great. Um, that was my holiday listening a couple of years ago. Um, but I, I think Aidan Moffat has just gone stellar with his latest album, yeah, Bill Wales. Yeah, yeah. That song, um, the what's it called? The roof, the one about the the funeral and so on. Oh, um, the the copper top. The copper, yeah. Um, is you know I can't listen to that yeah, song no, anymore. It's, it's just gorgeous, isn't it? it's absolutely gorgeous. Song. And if you watch the video, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I think uh, absolutely. So Arab Strap, why why particularly a lot of Arab Strap? Similar to finding voices that you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it was. Um, I think uh, after hearing, I think the first song I heard was. Um, Probably first big weekend of the summer, probably. And, yeah. uh, uh -huh. You know, again, it's like, I, I do, I hope I'm not coming across as liking too many things that are Scottish. No. Right? But again, it's a way into it. It's, it's interesting. And it's things I found when I was young. Yeah. And Arrowstrap was like that. And it, yeah, and uh -huh. I, I was, they're by far the, the band I listen to most. And um, having done a couple of readings now, and Aidan Moffat's been playing in the background, I'm still too scared to go and talk to him. <laughs> uh, but one day, that's that's my next ambition, just to know the books out, talk to Aidan Moffat. <laughs> Send him a copy in, yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting you say that, because there is no doubt that, uh, uh, Chris has said the same thing, so at times, 
you know, oh, I don't want to say the look that I'm picking up in Scottish things. Well, first of all, I'm kind of asking you about Scottish stuff, but that it makes sense to me that that uh, things which are not just that you love the art of it, you know, like for instance, for me, Tom Waits or Nick Cave yeah. or, or or even the Smiths. Um, that's three of my favourite people and listen to them all the time. But when something <coughs> Uh, first big weekend and some classic example you go god that was my life yeah that's the interesting thing when someone absolutely nails what you've gone through and it's like going back to your collection of stories there are stuff in there where you go yeah that has happened to me I've mm-hmm. had those conversations or I've narrowly missed being in, <laughs> in those situations and could see myself having yeah. done it or I've known people like that <clears throat> and I, that's what I think uh, you know you've, you've managed to nail in, in the book is, is it's not just a voice but a sense of place um, which is universal. I mean, I think there'll be people that can read that anyway. I mean, going back to Bukowski, you know, you, we wouldn't find ourselves in bars in middle America having fistfights, but you could quite easily have bar, you know, bars <laughs> in uh, East End of Glasgow having fistfights, you know, and, and or finding ways to avoid them. Yeah. Knowing how to avoid them, and I yeah, think that's the universal thing. Universal things, you're right. Yeah. And I think in the way you're talking about the Smiths, what they do in Ma- talking about Manchester, mm. Morrissey, a lot of the time, it's maybe what Aidan Malcolm did talking about Falkirk or Glasgow or wherever they were at the time, you know, um, just as you said, universal stuff. It doesn't really matter where mm. it is, it's just. Well, look, look the, going back to Train Spot in the book, may, a lot of people have come over to Glasgow and they end up uh, wanting to do Scottish literature uh, at Glasgow Uni. And one of the, the major reasons for a lot of people is because they've read Train Spotting and just think, wow, this is amazing. Which blows my mind. You know, this yeah. thing that's written, as difficult as it is to read, I right. found it difficult to read when I first read it. And But yeah, it's got this huge appeal and just absolutely tapped into something that was. Absolutely. Train Spotting is one of these books that I reread fairly recently. And uh, I thought, there's just no more point in me writing anymore because <laughs> I know it does mean. everything better than I could ever do, I think. Or uh, I, don't, I don't think Trainspotting's about drugs, is basically my, my theory on it. I think it's not about drugs. It's not about drugs in the slightest, it's about Scotland. And again, it's a very existentialist text as well. And it's and it's about, off, well, mainly male, because I think he doesn't write the female characters very well. In fact, they hardly appear. Yeah, you're right. But um, the, it's about male relationships. I mean, mm-hmm. that whole... Mm-hmm. The classic character of Franco Begbie, who you know, you would if you didn't know him, you'd run a while, mile away. But people folk put up with his mental behaviour because he's a mate. Yeah, that thing, yeah. and that's a strong feeling of that. That's it. It's a, hopefully, it's not just a Scottish thing, but it's definitely something that as you grow up in Scotland, you you see a lot of, and it's you forget a lot of bad, bad behaviour. Behavior. <laughs> yeah, because it's a mate. But in saying that, like, I, I, I. I probably, I mean, I was exaggerating a bit when I said reading trace, but maybe not yeah. right again. But um, I, I, I think it is a very, very great book. And to what you're saying about people coming to study here just because they've read that is astounding. And I think mm-hmm. that just proves whether it's Scottish or not is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, how absolutely. it describes life. Um, and also going back to how short stories we're talking about short stories. It, in some ways, it is. It's a collection of lots of little short so, stories. Yeah, I'm thinking of that one towards the end. The, it's called Blood and it's um, just that story in the hospital yeah um, you know it, it stands out it's not in a sense related to yeah, any, any of the stories it's just there but it's a little it's another little short story within yeah. a book of short stories I would say yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's loads of people when, when we, we used to teach it I used to teach it at the university and they would uh, if they hadn't read it they would kind of 
talk about the film and we're no no not letting away with that yeah. get stuck into the book because it's fantastic right, uh, the f- film sorry the film focuses on the drugs a lot more but yeah. the book um, and it sucks. cuts out a lot of the characters that's the one we are telling yeah. people haven't read the book because yeah. they don't you go what about second prize and they look at you and go oh, what uh, 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 and it's far more morally ambiguous again if you want to say existential but you know the way that he treats the end there's no you know, neat kind of tidying up, which uh, which there is in the film. But mm. I understand why that in the film. I don't think. Yeah, I forget exactly. It's a short, yeah. short film. Yeah. Um, so finally, I have put number five. I'll say the best event you've ever been to in Scotland. What I mean is whether it's a, a gig or a reading or something that you've gone. Wow, well, that really sticks out for me. Okay, I'll go back. I'll go back to my beloved Arab strap. Yeah, um, their last well allegedly it was a it was their last ever gig um, at the ABC but then they went and played a gig in Japan so it wasn't <laughs> their last ever gig the liars um, but they, they they played a gig at the ABC um, what, what, I don't know what year that was now maybe 2005 or 6 um, but right at the end all these balloons dropped from the ceiling uh, and it was a brilliant moment and I was there with my, my girlfriend who's now my fiance and um, so I, that was a really sort of life changing event it was a great gig and um, as I said, that's my favourite band. Well, Excellent. So, yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to let you go because I know you've got, you're a busy man. Things to do. I'll go. I'll go. I've got to run to the doctors now. And, uh, <laughs> I'll run out tours for a minute. So thanks, uh, very thanks very much for coming in. Really appreciate it, especially on a, a, a Sunday morning and full of the cold. Thank you. Um, if you can't make it down on Tuesday night to the launch of Wasted in Love, do yourself a favour. Get yourself a copy. You you you'll love it. No doubt about it. Uh, we'll be here, I keep promising that we're going to do this top five <laughs> Scottish books. We are booked in, everyone is booked in, Chris and Ronnie and Ian to do it next Saturday, so it'll be with you soon. Um, we're hoping this uh, podcast will be up early in the week, so uh, don't worry, I'll flood your Twitters and emails all about it. In the meantime, uh, see you later. Cheers. Thank you.